Stay in Britain where we don't dream. Connect a hosepipe to my asshole. Of course, famously, you've never bought an umbrella. This is a standard nerds podcast. How'd you like me now? Hello and welcome to How Do You Like Me Now, the podcast where we go back and relive the golden years of kids TV. I'm Will, with me as always is Liz. Hello Liz. I've got a ticket to ride and I don't care. Alright, good to know. Good. How are you? (laughs) I'm good, how are you? Yep, same. Yeah? As ever. Okay, well, this week Liz, my pick. Alright, let's get on with it then. Okay, I'm picking something different. Well, it would be weird if you picked something that was the same. (laughs) I'm picking a magazine show. I don't know what that is. Right, that's one of those. This one of those shows where basically you get different segments of reporting from different places. Okay, like the one show. Kind of like the one show, right? But this was a kids one. Okay, okay. and this had come. This I don't know why this popped into my head about four days ago. Right. Right. It'll never work. <gasps> oh, well, you remember it'll never work. Yeah. Oh. Oh my goodness, I've been thinking that I was going to pick that for the longest time, okay? I honestly have. And I keep just thinking, oh, I don't know if I want to go back, and what if Will hates it, and oh, I don't know. No, I loved It'll Never Work. I loved It'll Never Work. I thought it was... Right, okay. What do we remember about It'll Never Work? I think it was about inventions Mm -hmm. that were rubbish, sometimes that were from history, like... Like, I think Leonardo da Vinci's boat shoes or something. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> and sometimes from, like, modern, so it'd be like, look at this weird thing they have in Japan. Yeah. And I think it was most... And sometimes, like, that you would think wouldn't work, but then they proved that it could. Yeah, I think that was it. There was, there, but it was, like, a series of outlandish things. And, yeah, some of them did work. There was always a thing where they went to um, this doctor in Japan who like, ran the Institute of Useless Stuff. Yes. And so it would always be these things like made to solve problems. And there's one I always remember, which was like, oh, do you have a problem where you fall asleep on trains while you're commuting and your head falls onto the person next to you? And it was basically a hard hat with a suction cup on the back. Nice. On a chain, right? Yeah. And a little card holder in the front. And the idea was you stuck the, cat, stuck the suction holder to the window behind you, mm-hmm. put the thing on and put a little thing saying, please wake me up when we get to this location. And the person falls asleep. And their head nods side to side and doesn't fall onto any other passengers. And someone taps them when they get to the destination. And they always show this stuff for someone who's not using it and suffering from the same problem. Yes. And it's this guy who just falls asleep on his shoulder person next to him and then wakes up five stops late and basically there's a sumo wrestler looking at him amorously you yeah know. it's in the style of those like American infomercials mm. so like uh, like you know the people who can't open milk you know you show them like doing ridiculous versions yeah, yeah, yeah. of having the worst possible outcome of not being able to do the thing and then you show the solution and it's totally absurd as well yeah yeah that's it but it was I just it remember it being great. Work. I just remember it being absolutely great. I'm really excited to have it potentially back in my life. I'm excited. All right. Well, we're going to go and watch some. Okay. And we will report back. Duncan, I'm blind. And we're back. So, Liz, it'll never work. Question mark. <laughs> How would you like me now? It'll never work. It's too. It's too many questions going on. <laughs> I mean, I, I. That's my first thought on this is why is there a question mark in the title i get i think i know why but it doesn't help to try and it's not a question it's not a question no it's more of like a it makes you want to pronounce the title with a rising inflection it'll never work 
Well, and you could say that it kind of doesn't, does it? No. They threw some money at this show. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can tell, because we're off, we're jetting off across the world, we've got three presenters, of which I only remembered one, (laughs) and yet... I don't think this captured the public consciousness in the way that they hoped. No, no. It... I always remembered it, okay? Yeah. And I was really glad that you picked it. I was really glad to go back and be able to watch some. But my thought was, as I was watching it, was, this is bad. Why did I like this? <laughs> See, now, I feel the same sort of way. Yeah. But there are still happy memories in there for me. The thing that I hadn't clued into as a kid that I see now is they're so cynical. Yeah. They're really cynical about everything that they're presented with. It's miserable, isn't it? It is. It's basically just a show full of misery and puns. Misery and puns. And on that level, it should appeal to me. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Misery and puns, that's where I live. (laughs) (laughs) But this is, yeah, everything they're doing is like... (laughs) It's with this whole sneer. Can you believe that somebody thought this was a good idea? Yeah. I mean, there's crazy bits. There's like... Oh, just, just... Well, it starts out with them... The, now, the episode we watched wasn't episode one, was no, it? No, couldn't find episode one. This is virtually absent from the internet. So mm-hmm. these are two... What we watched were two episodes, both from 1997. And ha- did it have a long run? Like a- Yeah, it ran from 93 to 99. So this had a six-year... See, I wouldn't have believed that. I wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, this, this carried on going past... Like, basically, obviously, you have Sally Gray... You have Angela Lamont and you've got Jez Nelson. Now, Jez Nelson left because Jez Nelson basically got promoted and went to work on Tomorrow's World, which was like the grown-up version yeah, of It'll Never right, Work. Right, right, right. We've got so much going on here. Okay, so it is Tomorrow's World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they obviously think, well, for kids, we've got to put a spin on it. So we'll put a spin on it that these are all things that probably won't work. And yeah. in there might be things that we hope will one day. And... Yeah, I was I was going to ask because I did vaguely remember that guy. Yeah, not from this, but I vaguely remember him being a presenter at some point. Yeah, Jesna, I think he he did Tomorrow's World. I'm sure he went on to do other stuff as well. And obviously yeah. Sally Gray, we know from Fifty Fifty that right, we covered a few shows right. back. But I have to cover this, okay? When we did the intro to Fifty Fifty, mm-hmm. right? I said. Oh, it's Sarah Green, isn't it? And then when we watched it, it's like, no, Sally Gray. Because they were very much occupying the same headspace for me. Yeah. But I remembered the presenter of 50-50 being the same as the presenter of It'll Never Work. So then when we went into this, I didn't say anything. Because I thought there's an even chance of it being Sarah Green or Sally Gray. I now think... I don't remember Sarah Green at all. Who is Sarah Green? She's a, a woman presenter right. with blonde hair. Okay. And her surname is a colour, <laughs> much like Sally Gray. Now, I'm going to say this, and this might be the third thing that I'm incorrectly identifying Sarah Green for. Okay. But I think she did Going Live, which was the Ooh. predecessor to Live and Kicking, or oh. the opposite channel version, I don't know. Going live. She was definitely a presenter of kids' TV. Okay. And she exists. She's still on TV now, which you don't see Sally Gray much. So that I think that's why, in my head, Sally Gray was obliterated, and I just replaced all mentions of her with Sarah Green, <laughs> well, who I now think I never really watched, because <laughs> Going Live ended. 
Well, I mean, we've got a lot of kids' TV still to cover. There's every chance we'll come across Sarah Green. I must search out Sarah Green. <laughs> Is she real? Sarah, if you're listening, get in touch. No, seriously, she still does things. Mm. You still see Sarah Green about. Okay. Well, She's a, she is a person, uh, yeah. but she just somehow managed to to put herself into all of my Sally Gray memories. That's how good she is on the television. <laughs> she should be hosting everything. She can obliterate well, I think other sp- presenters from your memory. <laughs> I think if you speak to people who are around uh, in the 80s who are older than us, they might think that she did present everything. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, so yes, Sally Gray is in this, who's yeah. the presenter from 50-50. Yeah. And I think she's really great in this. She was the one I remembered. She, I think she works for this. Yeah. Because, yeah, Jez Nelson, I suppose, is bringing more of a kind of, like, a serious kind of, like, oh, here's a ironing board that eats itself. <laughs> that wasn't one of the ones we saw. Um, and then, but she's she's all up for all the wackiness. She's like, ah, look what I've got. No. Wait, she's always, she's like... She's zany. Yeah, and she and she's always, like, the full person in, like, all the, all the skits they're doing. Right. So let's get to that. Okay. There's a third presenter. There is. Who I had no memory of. Did you just say her name? Angela Lamont. Angela Lamont. Lamont. Is she Norman Lamont's daughter? I honestly can't say for sure. Because she looks to me to be wrong. <laughs> what would you on this on this show? Right, out of place. Out okay. of place. You can't just say she looks to me to be wrong and then stop talking. <laughs> I don't. I don't like to judge people or pigeonhole them, right? <laughs> but she looks like a minor royal who's yes. accidentally wandered onto the set of Tomorrow's World, and they've gone. Oh, you'll be up for all the zany shit. And she's gone, oh, well, I suppose. And then forced herself into it. She looks like she'd be much happier presenting a sort of, I don't know, uh, uh, a Waitrose kind of uh, uh, welcome to my kitchen sort of, you know, cookery programme. She doesn't fit here at all. No, she, she looks doesn't. like she hates it. Well, the thing is, she can't match the energy of Sally Gray, and she can't match the cynicism of Jez Nelson, which means she has to take a middle road, which ends up falling a bit flat. Middle of the road. Middle of the road, yeah. That, and she was the, that's no knock in her. She's, she's up against like a titan of zaniness in Gray, and a titan of you know ambivalence in Nelson. Let's just be clear. Nelson isn't a titan of anything. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jez Nelson. Not a titan. Okay. <laughs> Sally Gray, also not a titan. Otherwise, she would never have been obliterated by Sarah Green. <laughs> Got Sarah Green, the ultimate titan. She's a titan. If you want a titan, she, she's replacing herself in shows she was never even on. Sarah Green, she's there climbing the Olympus of television memories. Yes, so no, no titans here. But of the three presenters, I really didn't gel with Angela. I really didn't get why she was there. Fair enough. Was it Angela? Yeah, Angela. Angela. See, you can't even remember her name now. I really can't. I genuinely cannot. <laughs> I mean, so just going back to If start, you told me that she was the daughter of a former Conservative cabinet minister, that would totally explain to me why she's got a job on television that she's not fit for. Right, okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's kind of harsh. I think she's still presenting. She's still. Is she? Yeah, she's still doing a decent enough job. She's just not matching the energy. Oh, no, I thought you meant now. Oh, right. No, I don't know about now. I was going to say, I haven't seen her about now. <laughs> I was going to say, I had to look up her name. I don't know if she's now. No. But no, I feel like, you know, she's, she's still 
contributing. She's not just not hitting the levels of Sally Gray. So, you know? on this first episode, now the reason I pointed out this wasn't the first one is they do still have a kind of intro to what the program actually is, mm. which I thought was interesting. They're very much assuming that people would never have watched before. Yeah. Um, and all of them individually, they're on this kind of Top Gear style set. It's a really weird thing. It's kind of like someone stripped out the industrial zone from the old crystal yes, maze yeah. and just let them wander around in that. There's very much an industrial feel to yeah. everything. Even down to the theme music. The theme music is... Doo, doo, doo. Well, that's Depeche Mode. What? That's Depeche Mode. It's it's actually it's Depeche Mode. actually a Depeche Mode hit from 1984. No way. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was just like, like a kind of cobbled together thing trying to sound like... That, Depeche Mode, yeah, I know. Product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did too, but then I looked it up. Yeah, it's Depeche Mode. Oh, I think you okay. see when you're a kid, like obviously, you know, I, you don't know was, so much about this was Depeche a hit Mode. Two years before I was born, so you know, no chance I was going to be aware of this, which is quite. I'll, a I'll be honest. Even as an adult, I've yet to get into Depeche Mode. Oh, okay. I can tell them by the way you said Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode. Um, so yeah, it's this industrial kind of set where mm-hmm. you know one person's on a uh, a, a walkway up For the no top, reason. and we're zooming up and down, and there's all kinds of bits of scrap heap, you know, around and I mean, zooming, zooming through. But poor lighting. I tell you what, it looks like right. If you took any of these presenters and put them into like a trench coat, they'd be presenting one of those like crime mystery programs they have in the states you know how long is it till we get robot wars oh. right because this very much has the robot wars kind of like this... um aesthetic yeah well this must have, actually no this must have had a crossover with robot wars because i swear robot must wars started it. about yeah because i think robot wars started before i went to secondary school which was 97 when this is on right so i think robot Wars started mid-run robot wars did start pre-99 because i remember at primary school talking to one of the kind of weirdo boys and when i say weirdo he was into world of warcraft which i know you're also into um no not world of warcraft uh, what's the little little men's warhammer Warhammer. <laughs> little men's <laughs> what's what's your little men's called <laughs> you know you paint the little men warhammer <laughs> right now i'm not saying that everybody who's into warhammer is a weirdo i haven't been into warhammer for about 15 years yeah but it's still it never goes away <laughs> I'm not saying that everybody's, but the weird, that's what the group of weirdo kids were into. Now, it's not because they were into Warhammer that I thought they were weirdo. It just so happens that the weirdo kids were into Warhammer. Right, okay, right. okay. So, anyway, I remember talking to one of them. And I would be like, oh, I can't believe the judge's decision that Napalm didn't win. There was fury. There was utter fury the next day. And I managed to have a conversation with the weirdo kids. But it, to be fair... I also was a weirdo kid. I just wasn't a Warhammer weirdo kid. Yeah. But that was my, you know, my point of convergence with those children that we could... <laughs> robot Wars. We could talk about Robot Wars. You built a commonality around that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, the Warhammer weirdo kids expanded into the Robot Wars weirdo kids. That We were all one big happy gang. We weren't. Weirdos are never that happy. <laughs> Not a primary school. You have to wait till you're an adult before you can be a happy weirdo. Yeah, yeah. Be I, I, of... I, I just believe that. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. School is too cruel for us weirdos. <laughs> Rules, rules for life. Rules for life there. <laughs> I should write a book. Anyway, <laughs> what was I talking about? It's the, got a Robot Wars aesthetic. Yeah. You know the kids are all into aesthetics now, aren't they? Because like, you make your Instagram have an aesthetic. Am I saying the wrong word? What's the matter? <laughs> the way you say, you know the kids are all into aesthetics now, but you sound about 90. I feel 90 when I go on the internet. 
I feel 90. I can't write a tweet. I always have more words than will fit into a tweet. I don't know what a TikTok is. (laughs) I definitely don't know what a TikTok is. Some of the TikToks, they come onto the the Instagram, (laughs) right? So I go on the Instagram explore page. I think that's what it's called. Only because sometimes you read the comments and they're like, oh no, I've ended up on the explore again. Right, so you're on the explore page and you see a video that's playing and it's got TikTok in the corner. So you know that that's come across from TikTok. Now, I'm always grateful for that because I steadfastly refuse to download TikTok so that I can have another social media app on my phone that I don't understand and don't feel I fit in with. So... Yes, I do feel 90 when I go on the internet. Was that the question? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I was just talking about aesthetics. Yes, you were talking about aesthetics. And Yes. <laughs> so, this is in the Robot Wars Scrap Heap Challenge aesthetic. Yes. Right? <laughs> that we were doing in the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. That was a thing. Don't know why. But I think that's the thing. He, he did as well. He, yeah, it's kind of attempting to do like an, an edgy thing. For, edgy. Like an edgy thing, but a kid's... But for very children. Yeah, a very young children, young children edgy. Kid, edgy thing. And they have this at the start, because like this first episode, they basically do this quick thing where they introduce like three rapid-fire inventions. So they talk about yellow line painting. Yes, so they they do, they do, they all do a little, like, oh, here are some uh, it'll-never-work style inventions that sound weird, but then ended up being... A goer. Yes, or not. Is or the not in the summer manager. So the but the yellow they, line is yeah. a goer. Well, yeah, the yellow line is a goer, but basically it turns out that the guy who invented it didn't make Mr. any money Musgrove. from it. Mr. Musgrove. Mr. Musgrove. And then he went and got, he parked on one and got a £20 ticket from it. What, and what, a, very what much a loser. A, there's very much a kind of, oh, look at the irony. Yeah, mm. yeah went kids. And, went and got himself a ticket. Never invent anything. Um, and then <laughs> Angela's one. She's like she's got this kind of plane thing. It was like yeah, some kind of aircraft. A French inventor tried to invent an indestructible plane. Yeah, and got his friends to push him off a cliff in it. Yes, uh, to test it, and the wings broke off. Well, she says something which I thought was interesting. She says they all thought he was a nutter, and I was like, that is interesting because nowadays, right. I wouldn't expect to hear a children's TV presenter say nutter. No. Because I guess we're more careful about uh, language around mental health. I don't know why, but nutter's gone. You give, I I feel like I feel like that went before before we were talking so much about what language was stigmatised, you know? Yeah. It's been a long it's, time since you could say yeah, nutter. It's, it's, yeah, it's, no one calls it's anyone It's not right, is it, on no, a kid's show not. to no. say, this guy who invented something, they all thought he was a nutter. <laughs> it's not... It was really weird and now, like this, this is like this sort of cynical, edgy thing of not like... Not presenting it in this way of, well, he thought he invented an instructable plane. It didn't work, but he did survive. It's more... Well, <laughs> what a nutter. Well, they go... When he was pulled from the wreckage, he claimed it was a success. So it is like, it's really down on this guy. He still built a plane. Yeah, and he did survive. Yeah. What? What's your problem, Angela Lamont? Can you not open your eyes, Angela, and, <laughs> and see the possibilities? You know, often inventors risk, don't they, quite a lot to yeah. test their inventions. I, I think that's a, you know... I mean, I really didn't think we were down this route of us being less cynical now. Uh, in our mid-30s than we were when we watched this show. Oh, honestly, this whole thing, I was a bit like, this is bad. Like, it was it was bad that we all just watched it then and it was just, you know, going into our brains uh, without us really putting a crit- critical eye over it. 
But now I was like, so much of this scares me mm-hmm. that, that we were just watching this because it's all kind of like, it's anti-experimenting mm. and, and it's so down on trying anything. And But also all these things, almost everything they do in this, they do go globetrotting. So they go across to the States. Obviously they go across to Japan and will come to Japan. But, you know, they talk about France, talk about Australia. And it seems like all of these, they, all they're doing is going across the world to shit on people's ideas. Yes, exactly. But nothing is from the UK. No. Other than, and so it's almost like this thing of like, yeah, everyone, everyone else is wacky out there. Like, oh, Japan, what a crazy country full of people inventing all this mental shit. No, they're inventing the best electronics in the world, you yeah. know? Just... Yeah, stay in Britain where we don't dream. Yeah, that's it. That's the message of this show. It is the message of this show. Oh, my God. <laughs> right, I'm already making up minds on this show. <laughs> So one of the places they go is to Tornado Alley yes. with a storm chaser, yeah. right? And I did enjoy this bit because they're trying to build tension. Sally's in the car with him and they're talking about chasing it down and talking about times that before, you know, where he's been in real danger, where he's been very close to storms and whatever. And they're really trying to build... Oh yeah, they this have... idea that the storm is coming. Yeah, they're foreshadowing this extra special storm they might see a supercell, I think they call it, which is like we get hail and tornadoes. I mean, there's left field underscored under all this whole thing. Mm. This whole bit is underscored by like some you know, real sort of like, like, and I'm like, oh Christ, this is this is you know they paid some decent money for this music. This is you know. I was going to say they definitely blew money on the music. I'll mention it a couple of times, yeah. but there is like. Genuine artists that you've heard of, <laughs> yeah. not just generic kind of background music. But yeah, they, they they say that this guy is one of the only, maybe the only person who's managed to deploy the snail yes. in the path of an oncoming tornado. And the snail is this kind of like thing that they plug into the ground that will then... It reads the seismic vibrations so yeah. they can try and predict where tornadoes are going to go. But if it's to predict tornadoes, why did he have to deploy it in the path of a tornado. What is so you've got a base level to, right, to read okay. from. I think that's it. So the idea is if you can pick up the you know, But you couldn't have just put it somewhere and then waited and gone, was there a tornado there yesterday? Oh that's good, it picked it up then. Well, no, no, of course not. I mean that that's what? that's a crazy idea. What? Because what if it gets blown oh, I'm away? Crazy. Yeah. Because you, you can't predict to, What mean, did I tell you about mental health slurs? <laughs> We're more careful now. You nutter. <laughs> <laughs> But this is the thing, so they, this whole thing, I presume, because they don't explain it, the idea is that he's going to, he picks up the seismic activity changing as the tornado approaches, mm. so then he can model that and say, look, here's a pattern, so if I put 1,600 of these all over Tornado Alley, when it has this reading, we know a tornado's coming, so we give an early warning system, because that's what this storm chasing is about, is an early warning system for unpredictable yeah, yeah. storms. Yeah. Well, anyway, they, they have a little bit of footage of him putting it down in very windy weather, mm. so I'm assuming that was the day he did it in the path of a storm but they then intercut that with footage black and white footage of him and sally putting it down on what is very clearly a totally still day running slow motion across a plowed field see nowadays i think legally you'd have to put reconstruction on that because it is so obviously trying to cheat us (laughs) outrageous my favourite bit of this whole thing, though, is that you know they've done this whole build-up and it might be the supercell, and then <laughs> Sally Gray goes, but after 18 hours of driving across two states, there was no tornado to be seen. Yeah. Like, why even do this bit then? Come back and do it another day. Yeah. <laughs> if- but I knew, I knew that they weren't going to want her 
near that near a tornado because surely they've got insurance to worry about and you know that guy does it off his own back he chases storms that's fine with his um you know personalized storm chaser number plate yeah that's his business but to put in sally gray your presenter out with him not a good idea come on i doubt they were even chasing that storm but this is the thing it's all this kind of yeah. yeah, and the music's like, I've got to stand and fight. And you're like, oh no, what's going to happen to Sally Gray? After two hours and, uh, no, two states and uh, many hours, hours, 18 <laughs> hours, we couldn't find any storms. <laughs> I mean, it's, this is the thing, even all of these bits, all these little links they get them to do, they're all pretty shit. I mean, there's one, that same episode, that Jez is presenting, and he's talking about you know, it's, it's about evolutionary computer programs, you know, and this whole idea of programs that learn. This is artificial intelligence. Yeah. This is fucking Skynet he's talking about. And he starts off by going, the human species. I guess that includes Sally. Like, Fuck you, Jez Nelson. That was rude. <laughs> it, is, it is that kind of trying to be edgy, but just doing it by saying the rudest thing you can yeah. think of. And this is the thing, they're talking about this and about, you know, this, this guy who's invented a program that creates fractal geometry and that. And, you know, they've got little pet robots that learn so they don't crash into each other. And he's sort of, they introduce this. I remember those. Because yeah. I feel like that was everywhere at the time. Looking at little robots mm-hmm. that had learned something basic, like. They don't crash into any, each other anymore. I feel like that was every other week we were seeing a little robot that had learnt a little skill. Well, this is, and this is what I wanted to see. I wanted a lot of these things which are like, in the future, we could have this. Because you look at that and you, in the mid-90s, you might have gone, wow, robots that actually learn not to bump into each other. That's amazing. Didn't predict that in 10 years' time someone would have covered them in fur and put them in a little same-size pen in a kid's toy store. <laughs> uh, look, you can put three of these things together. They won't crash into each other, kids. <laughs> That's what they are, inventing toys for children. But these are your these are your staples of your science show at yep. this time is um some robots, usually from Japan, mm-hmm. and some wacky Backwards American inventions you've got wacky to have. Backwards American It's always the South, isn't it? It is, it is. It's always like it's... These are your two places that you go for, for for wacky shit that you can make fun of is uh, the American South and Japan. Yes, here we have Dr. Fujiyama and Jim Bob. Yes. <laughs> These are our two experts this week. The, and and their opinions are exactly level. <laughs> yes. Every everybody's opinion is worth equal weight. Yes. With those little um I don't I don't know if it was the pet robots. They had this guy who was a doctor of something and he goes, "Oh, in uh, 50 years time we might have computers that can feel emotions." And then they just cut back and go, "Not everybody agrees with him." Like, what? Why have him on then? If he's if you're telling me that guy's a crackpot, but because it's a kids show you wanted somebody to say something exciting, that's that's terrible. This is anti-science. Don't just invite crackpots on. <laughs> what have you done to my generation? Right? Now how will we get them to trust or believe anything? This is why half of us don't trust no, Alexis no, at all. Now we're all like, oh, you're an expert. Get lost. You're not saying yeah. what I want you to say. Find me an expert who says what I want to say. There'll be someone. The whole the whole treatment of experts in this, especially that bit, reminded me of like that old bit in The Simpsons. And it's like an old sort of science thing from the 50s. And it's like, just ask this scientician uh he'll tell you that at any oh god it's just pointless there is one more presenter that we didn't mention so there's the three main lots and then we sometimes cut to a guy called adrian yes adrian johnson now adrian johnson joined from this series onwards okay so adrian has vampire hair yeah he's got a hell of a widow's peak and an astra 
Yes, he does have a, a really shitty Astra. So if we first see him, we cut to this guy and they're like, oh, wow, Adrian, what are you doing? And we cut to him just in an Astra, driving over a child's bike, bumping into a lawn gnome. You know, he's just absolutely knocking the shit out of this garden. And then he's like, oh, all things are possible except driving out of this drive. Oh, no. <laughs> and then and then um, he's like, what about a revolution in home revolving? And it turns out that this segment is about a turntable that you can have put in your driveway to turn your car. Yes. I mean, this this is this for me is such a niche product. And again, it's presented this way of what a crazy, wacky invention. And I mean, this is where I really noticed the pun starting to come in. Because oh, that was goes, big pun It's time to turn around. This is causing a, a bit a revolution. Let's get into a bit of a spin. They went mad on puns Oh, there. God, they did. But I feel like that one, they actually felt like they could see that that would be useful. I, I felt like there wasn't quite so much cynicism about that one, but I was highly cynical of this. I was like... Do, do, have you heard of the environment? Just park on street. What are you doing? You can't. You can't build revolving turntables. You're not a Bond villain. I mean, this this is a terribly environmentally unfriendly show, right? Through oh, all of this, oh, everything is involving like let's just let's add an engine to this. That'll make it better. Like they go to. A, Calif- they go to California and they oh, get yeah, on- back to America. Back to America, and this is Angela Lamont this time. And she says, "Oh, this guy's invented a flare craft, which is basically a hovercraft without the skirty bit that basically hovers a little bit of way off the water." This was, I think, apparently a thing. There's this certain type of like, uh, you know, lift you can get over water, hmm. and they they actually they flashed back to when they. Been to somebody else who they went to Australia, Australia in a previous series, and, and they'd claimed it. that they could do this. And then on the day they couldn't get the machine to work. But so this one, yeah, Angela's gone. Angela, I feel like she wasn't perky enough to be on the Price Is Right. <laughs> she's that. She's that kind of girl. Okay. <laughs> um, she should be. She should be like you know playing bridge somewhere. <laughs> That's just that's just the vibe I get from it. You really got it in for Angela. I really have. I don't now. As a woman, as a feminist, we're supposed to support other women. Sometimes I just take against them. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a feminist and I don't like women. It's always been my biggest flaw as a feminist. <laughs> so you don't like other women. Yes, but I think yeah, absolutely. In, in fairness, it's like you don't like any people. Oh no, that's true. But I especially don't like women. <laughs> Anyway, I really don't like Angela, but even even still, I wouldn't wish this guy on her. Oh no, she doesn't deserve this. She goes out to speak to the inventor of the f- flare craft, and she tells him, "Oh, you know, we tried one of these in Australia, and it didn't quite work. So, do you think we'll be able to um, uh, get some lift today?" And this guy just goes to her, "It's going to be a nice ride, and you're going to enjoy it," <laughs> which is the creepiest thing. That an American can say to you. The only way it could be creepier is if he didn't have any kind of vehicle for her to try. The, the only way it'd be creepy if he licked his lips afterwards. Oh! <laughs> like, the, the lick slowly, was implied. Slowly, like... And she says, uh, can it fly over ground? No. no. It, it can't fly over ground. <laughs> <laughs> 
Like he says, oh, maybe you can fly over like a sandbar. It doesn't really count as a ground. I mean, this is the thing. She gets on this thing and it's, it's loud as fuck. She's got she's got like um, ear defenders on and she's screaming at the camera saying, Oh, well, how are we going 110 miles an hour? I mean, yeah, it, it literally sort of... So what you've invented is a method of transportation that only works on water. Incredibly limited. Incredibly well, I mean, loud. Nobody said that about the boat, I guess. But, but this, thing, you've got to, this is the thing: in order to get it to to like hover off the ground, you've got to be picking up a decent amount of speed. Yeah. And they they start this whole thing off by saying, "Oh, this yeah, this was invented because some guy thought about taking all the rivers and canals in America and creating a water highway system." Now. No, no, that's going to work with the flarecraft. It's always a guy who's stuck in traffic. Yeah. It, it's, it's always the same a guy who's stuck like... in traffic. Gah, how could I beat the rat race? <laughs> oh, oh, no. I'm stuck in traffic again. Hovercar, jetcraft. I've, I, rem- I remembered the segment, like, where she went to America and she was, oh, no, isn't it awful when you always get stuck in traffic? And I thought it was going to be a helicopter because I swear to God, I remember seeing an individual helicopter with exactly the same claims that, you know, oh, no more rat race for us. We'll be in our individual helicopters <laughs> just flying about, destroying the planet. This is the thing I love about it. Because, yeah, all of these things are hugely impractical. Impractical, yeah. You just, like, I get it, okay? If if, if your country is, has a lot of water, then I, I get that you want a, a quicker way to go across water than than a boat, maybe. Yeah. But this just is not working. It's not working no. for me, Guy. No, and I think the proof is in the pudding. Here we are, 23 years later, is anyone driving a flare craft to work? No. No, no one is using the flarecraft. No, no one's using the flarecraft. In fact, there was nothing on here that I spotted that I was like, "Oh yeah, we have that." You know, yeah. we have we have that kind of yeah, thing now. That's... Nothing, <laughs> nothing. This is the thing. Adrian Johnson, his whole part on the show, yeah, and this happens in the second episode as well, is to investigate old stuff that was patented. But yes. never put into production. So there's these different segments. It's incredibly choppy, isn't it? Oh, You're so You're going choppy. from one thing to the other all the time. And so, yeah, you get, like, Angela's off in America, and then you're back to something else. And then, yeah, there's always this one with Adrian and his leopard print filing cabinet. Yes, why is le- I don't why is it leopard print? I don't know. I don't know. It's don't just know. oh, it's just crazy. It's just wacky, isn't it? It's wacky. Oh, the wacky. kids all love oh, it. God. <laughs> oh, what what do kids like more than a leopard print filing cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> nothing. That's what. Nothing. I think that that is literally the production crew have gone. We can't just have a filing cabinet on the show. Look <laughs> look at our aesthetic. <laughs> this could be on Instagram. <laughs> we can't just have a filing cabinet. So in this segment, they 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 pick out a patent mm. so this is something that was patented uh, an invention that has never really come into being and they test it out yeah so i'm guessing they picked ones that they felt like the um the props manager could manage to cobble together so um they say oh this is one from a, a 1991 yeah. Uh, patent and it's for a sunshade balloon yes which is a balloon of mylar mylar yeah 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 and it has two strings on it and you put your arms through the the sort of strap strings and the balloon hovers above you i guess it's full of helium i'm not sure what you could patent about this well i presume it's the like, shape of the balloon yeah i presume it's the shape of the balloon and, and the fact it's attached to you it's kind of a flat balloon anyway he he wears it above him in order to get some shade 
the obvious problem with the balloon being how does it know where the sun is? You know, at what direction? No, sorry. No, the obvious problem with the balloon is wind. Wind (laughs) will blow it away from the top of your head, as happens every second. What direction the sun is in, (laughs) you expect a sentient balloon. Listen to me. Why are you you talking about? The balloon won't know what direction the sun's You will know what direction the sun's in and will adjust your position accordingly. Even if I know what direction the sun is in, I can't. I can't tell a helium balloon that it needs to move back slightly because the sun is, like, directly behind me now. (laughs) I don't understand what's funny about that. Have you never worn a hat? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) You don't expect the hat to automatically adjust itself. No, but I can adjust a hat. You You can adjust a balloon. You can't adjust a balloon. You can adjust this balloon. No, helium... (laughs) Helium balloon goes up. But that's why it's... it goes directly above you. That's the only place it goes. That's why it's tied to your head. So you can basically go, whoop, shift it back a little bit. That's why no, it's so... no, no, you can't shift it back, Will. <laughs> Will, it's a balloon. It flies directly above you because it's full of helium. You can adjust a hat. You can't adjust a balloon. <laughs> okay, but the balloon isn't like fl- the balloon is not intended to float like three feet above his head. He's got it so it's pressed against the top of his head. Well, then that is a hat. Yes, <laughs> it's an inflatable hat. No, I, I thought that that was just because like that they were struggling with it. When that you first see it, it is intended to float above him, which means that it isn't always blocking the sun but, because the sun can be at an angle. Well, yeah, but it's broad enough to give you shade at all points. No, like, it like isn't. A, like a ten-gallon hat is. No, it isn't. It isn't. Well, then you'd wear a collar. What? What you're basically saying is that it is it is a hat. <laughs> yeah, basically. It's a balloon hat. It's, it's a balloon hat. <laughs> but I'm the principal problem with it isn't that it doesn't know where the sun is. <laughs> it's that wind blows it off the top of your head. Well, not if it's attached. It just blows it into a different direction. And that's why I'm saying it blow the wind blows it one way, but the sun might be coming in at a different angle. That's why I'm, I'm uh, what I mean that it doesn't know where the sun is, so it's not it's not in position that de- you know deflects the sun all the time. That's why you got the cords; you can hold it in in place. Well, well, then you're doing all the work. Why not just wear a hat? I'm not saying this is a good invention, Liz. <laughs> I'm saying the principal flaw with it is that it doesn't account for wind. Not that it doesn't know where the sun is. It doesn't account for wind. Of course not. No, I know it doesn't. But the, that's the problem with it. Yes. The problem with the sunshade that basically any slight breeze blows it off your head so it's not shading you anymore, that's a problem. When the sun is setting or rising at a certain angle, it's going to hit me there because it's going to go underneath the brim of it. But that's the problem. Well, no, that's your problem with it. My problem with it is the wind. So, so on a still day, you think it'd be perfectly useful? Well, yeah. If do, I could have a perfectly still do day. You, do you actually believe that? I, on a perfectly still on day? On a still day? Yep. That you could get use out of that. Yeah. Because I would say no. Because it's always in the position of being directly above you. Again, I refer you to helium. Okay, it is always going to go directly above you. So it protects you at, I guess, exactly midday when the sun is at exactly the, you know, above point. All the rest of the time, it doesn't protect you. Uh, no, 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 no. That's what? rubbish. Uh, oh, oh, is it? Yes, it is. Because of shadows. Right? What do you mean? Because it's not the same size as your head, right? It's got to be wider than your head to create a shadow to come down. All right, 11.45 to 12.15. <laughs> 
It's a pretty big... Right, I mean, I could, de- I could demonstrate this just now, because that light isn't directly above you, and if I hold my hand here, you get a shadow over your eyes. But that wouldn't... It wouldn't be there, would it? What? Because it's above you! I know, but it's bigger than... It's bigger... It's not the size of my hand! Again, you can adjust your hand. You can adjust your hand. You can't adjust helium balloons! (laughs) Oh, God! They go where they want to go. This is not a normal... This is a round... You saw it. It's a round, flat balloon. I did see it. You saw it too. And yet you saw something different than me. (laughs) It's a round, flat balloon the size of a coffee table. If I held a coffee table... It is not the size of a coffee table. It is the size of a coffee table. It isn't the size of a coffee table. It's the size of our coffee table. This is only because you don't know what an occasional table is. (laughs) It's the size of an occasional table. But if I held it above my head, it would cover. It would give enough shade. Well, let, let, next time we go out, you can hold the occasional table above your head and see if it gives you any protection. All right, and you can have a balloon in a strong gust of wind and see if it gives you any protection. I didn't say that a balloon in a strong gust of wind would give me protection. <laughs> Enough of this. Anyway, so, by the by, they get on to... Shall w- we move on from that segment? Let's move on from that segment because... <laughs> because there's many more things to come. The other segments that I think we should mention, Chindogu. Chindogu. We have to talk about Chindogu. Okay. I mean, this, I think, is the thing most people will remember this show for. Yes, absolutely. I remembered it. Yep. I think I'm, I said something about it in the pre preamble. Now, these are the bits where they had the, like, worst of inventions, and it's like an advert. Mm-hmm. It's like yes. the... The Joey can't drink milk advert from Friends. You know, yeah. have you ever had this problem? And they show um, this Angela, Angela and Sally out in Japan. And one of them has the problem, and then one of them has the solution. Yeah. So the examples here we have earring ticket holders. Yep. So when you lose your your ticket for the train in the bottom of your bag or anything else, no, it's clipped to your ear. Which is just somebody's going to steal your ticket. Well, I mean, it's part of, this is the thing. Maybe in Japan, not in <laughs> London. Can't have that. Uh, what was the other Shindogu we had? Uh, this was the AstroTurf um, slippers. Oh, AstroTurf slippers. So it's like flip-flops that somebody's cut some of that butcher's grass <laughs> and stuck to the bottom. and So that you're always walking on grass, yeah. but you're still protected. Yeah. So I think, as little things, these are just funny, aren't they? They're, you know. Well, yes. But watching it now as an adult, I, do, I, I wonder if you can guess my biggest problem with this. No, tell me. Well... When I was a kid, I thought they were funny, but I guess because they're out in Japan, I always assumed that they were kind of real. Like, look at what those wacky Japanese people have come up with. Yeah. Now I'm watching them, I'm like, oh, that's not real. This is just a joke for the programme. Maybe not all made up by the BBC, maybe somebody else made them up, but... These aren't meant to be useful functional items. Well. Well, tell me if you know different. I do, because I've done my research on this. I agree completely, right? These were, this this whole segment gave you this idea of all oh, the wacky Japanese coming up with some crazy, useless stuff, yeah. right? Chindogu is an art style. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. That I would not have, I did not get right. that. There is so much more to this that was never explained. But basically, right, Chindogu, and I shall find it because I've, I've done quite a bit of research and looking around on this. Okay. But Chindogu is basically a, it was an invention of this guy, Kenji Kawakami, right? They are supposed, he describes them as unuseless. Right. The idea is to try and solve an everyday problem in a non everyday way. Right. Okay. So they're not meant to be, but there are ten tenets of Chindogu. Okay. Wow. <laughs> He's a genuinely right. So 
I'm going to take you through these, see what you think. They must be almost completely useless. Okay. Right? They must exist, so they can't just be a designer paper. You actually have to make them. Okay. Okay. Uh, they represent freedom of thought and action. Yes. I like that. Uh, their uselessness must be understood by all. Okay, good. They are not for sale. Yes, that is clearly marked. You can. They, they yeah. do say not available in shops. Yes. If you accept money for it, it ceases to be Chindogu. Got it. Okay. Humour must not be the sole reason for making them. Oh, that interests me. Right. Mm-hmm. Any humour is a side effect. Side effect, okay. 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 The invention must earnestly try and solve a problem. The roundabout and unconventional way it solves the problem is the source of the humour. Right. right. They are not propaganda, okay? But, well, that... They're made to be used even though they're almost useless. They're not a statement for any cause or philosophy. Fair enough. They're never taboo. Interesting. They cannot be made to enact or represent cheap sexual innuendo, vulgar humour or sick jokes. All right, fair enough. Uh, they cannot be patented. Okay. And they are without prejudice. Good. Well, okay. these are good. Some of these are very good ideas yeah. for everything. With that, yeah. do you want to hear some examples? Obviously, we've seen a few on the show. Okay, give me some examples. Uh, the butter stick. Butter stick. Right. This is basically what if you're in a hurry to butter your toast. Yeah. You haven't got a knife to hand. Yes. I feel like I've seen that. Yeah, it's a print stick filled with butter. A print stick filled with butter. I feel like I've seen this kind of thing for sale on those kind of gift websites. Well, this is the thing. I think It's this very is... much that vibe. Yeah. Because you can't patent them, anyone is basically free to reproduce them. And in a couple of cases, yeah. some people have yeah. reproduced Chindogu as like saleable things. Yeah. Bear in mind, some of these are quite old now. So you've got the 360-degree camera hat, which is basically a ring of Instax cameras around your head. Yeah. And all the switches are clicked together. So then you can create a 360-degree photo. Yeah. But you think 360-degree cameras now are all the rage. Well, that's that. Yeah, that just seems perfectly like somebody think you'd actually want. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's other things on there. The lipstick guide, which just looks terrifying. So, yeah, it's a kind of um, just a, a lipstick shaped hole in a Silence of the Lamb style mask <laughs> that you strap on. But what? But what is lost? I guess is those principles. When he says, or you know, they say freedom of thought. There's something really beautiful in that you're kind of freeing your mind and allowing any possibility to be worthy and to you know like uh, yeah go down these kind of strange avenues um but you know i i really love that the nuance of that very much lost Mm. in just putting these on a kids tv show and going Look at these wacky Japanese. Well, this is the thing. Like, I, I, this, I think, this whole section had an impact on me because when I finished school, I wanted to go travelling, and top of my list was to go to Japan. Yeah, always wanted to do. Never hadn't been there before, and I really wanted to go there. And I put that down to this, and I expected to see, you know, some some crazy out there things, and I really didn't. I went to like Sony's headquarters and saw like you know got to play with the PSP when it was brand new, all kind of stuff, and you know saw some amazing sights, but didn't see any of that wacky craziness that. Well, this think, kind of suggests Japan is full of. Well, I think, yeah, the kind of effect of it is, is that is that othering of Japan is to make it feel like, obviously, you know, a different country has a different culture, but kind of doing these things that, are, that look seem so silly makes it feel, you know, we, we were laughing at another country and like, oh, well, look at these the stupid things that they do. We wouldn't do them, and that's that's. Pretty bad. Yeah. You know, that there's definitely there's definitely a lot lost. And yeah, when they said Chindogu and, and put that on there, 
I don't know. I guess it was kind of like Acme, like a kind of fake brand in yeah, my mind. Yeah. You know, it was. It, it felt like a brand and not a kind of, yeah, not in any way a, an art style or, or a style of a thought or, or a philosophy. All of that's lost. And yeah, it does just... It it does just make you every episode you're like, God, oh, what are they getting up to now over there? Well, oh, they're they're so wild and crazy. What, what are they doing? <laughs> well, this is the thing. Like I I going through these because yeah, at the time you think these are all mad, but then looking through now, like there's some of these like a camera, an umbrella for your camera. Yeah. Which obviously before the days of waterproof cameras, fantastic idea, genius idea. Is it well? Yeah, that is even better ones. Right now, this one I know you'll love a back scratch guide T-shirt. Right. This is a T-shirt with a grid on the back. I... And a corresponding car, so you can tell people where your itch is without having to go up a bit, down a bit, everything else. I absolutely love that. Yeah, you've got a little a little grid, so you can say um, it's H3, and then they scratch H3, and you go, oh no, it's more like I4. Yeah. Amazing. Isn't that fantastic? What a genius idea, right? Amazing. I'm going to say something that's going to blow your mind. Okay. 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 The umbrella tie. Wow. Now, now, the umbrella tie... Yep. It's one of those um, small kind of uh, folding umbrellas, mm-hmm. but it's attached to a tie. In place of a tie. In place of a tie. But he's got the, the, the sort of the very the standard Windsor knot at the top, yeah. but then the, all of the dangle occupied by an umbrella. Yeah. That makes me feel a little like, and I don't know if this is an obscure reference, like Ricky Gervais when Carl Pilkington suggests that every tie should have a pocket in (laughs) in order to make it useful and Ricky Gervais points out to him that you don't want weights dangling from your neck I really have very little problem holding an umbrella compared to dangling it from my neck all day I know I think I think my concern is forgetting an umbrella like getting getting right. somewhere, going somewhere. It's raining. Getting in the car or something. Putting my umbrella down. Getting out the other end, and it's not raining there. Leaving the umbrella behind. Coming back to my car later, and it's raining. I'm like, because of course, famously, you've never bought an umbrella. Absolutely, I've just you stolen. Always them. steal them. I steal my umbrellas. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've been stealing umbrellas for years. I think if you actually looked into umbrellas, you'd have a wonderful kind of alternative to capitalism, because. Uh, <laughs> no, absolutely right. And this is a Japanese thing, okay? Is it? I found this when I went to Japan. Okay, when me and my friend went to Japan, okay? So I was 18. We went along, packed all our stuff, you know, flew out there. That was our first stop. So we were a 12-hour flight. We got there. We, had, we were there for like six, seven days in Tokyo. We had five days, glorious weather. And then on like the sixth day, it, had snow- it started raining the night before. We woke up six inches of snow, okay? Incredible, right? I go through my bag and find my waterproof is not there. Mm-hmm. I've left it hanging in my wardrobe back in Gloucestershire. Right. So I was like, what are we going to do? So I was like, okay, bundle up my fleece, you know, put my bag on, put my other bag on. And we're walking along the street from our hotel. And this little old 90-year-old man comes out of a shop, like, you know, wearing slippers and a cardigan and waves us down and goes into a rack and hands me like an old plastic umbrella. I'm like, this is really kind. And, like, and he just waves his hands and I go off. So I put this thing up and carry on going. And it's only when I get to the station, I spot something I hadn't seen for the rest of the week because it had been dry, mm. is basically everyone is coming up to the tube stations, putting their umbrellas down, putting them in the racks, getting on the train and going. And then the other end, you just grab another umbrella from the thing. So it's like communal bicycles in Amsterdam. Yeah. No one owns an umbrella. You just keep them in a rack. You know, yeah. just, it's, I just thought it's just amazing. It blew my mind. Yeah, because... 
that that ownership, you know, of something that you don't need all the time. Why is it necessary? Just yeah. put it down there and leave it for the person that does need it. Yeah. It's it's really it's really interesting. I mean, obviously, it doesn't work the same for every kind of property. Although some people might think it does, and you can have a whole philosophical debate about that. But there's something beautiful in that, isn't there? there just is. leave the thing that people need for when they need it, rather than holding on to it purely for that need of possession. That's it. I tell you though, there is one. Chindogu invention, okay, which has actually become ubiquitous. Okay. All over the world, people use this. So, uh, therefore, it's not Chindogu anymore. It's not anymore. No, it's no, no. useful. It's useful, right? Right. It is, it is purchased and sold all over the world, okay? Do you want to guess what it is? Is it, um, you know, um, when that baby has the mop attachments on its little onesie? That's one of them, okay? But I wasn't <laughs> thinking that, because that is one. But that's, I think that's only maybe one or two people. Maybe I'm, an... maybe I'm overestimating the amount of use that people are getting from that. <laughs> There's another one, which is even bigger, right? right? And you will see these everywhere. Selfie stick. Yes. Is it really? It is. It's the selfie no stick. No way. Yeah, the selfie stick, right? Oh, wow. Genuinely, the guy who... Kenji Kawakami, right? He came up with the idea while he was on vacation, right? He gave his camera to a kid, asking him to take his picture. When his back was turned, the kid ran off with his camera. So in 1983, he invented a self-portrait camera stick. Okay? Wow. Minolta made it and tried to sell it, quickly failed. So by 1995, he added it to the first of his Chindogu books to say, this is a Chindogu invention, because it had failed, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's yeah, useless use thing. But now, everywhere. Everyone's got the damn things. Oh, oh how Amazing is this guy's mind. That's incredible. But this is the thing. It, it, it's not Chindogu because it's sold, but it is Chindogu because obviously he never patented it. Mm-hmm. It's free domains. So this is why everyone makes them and everyone sells yeah, them. Yeah. And he doesn't make a penny from these. I think, you know, that, that, because that's one of the things I think, you know, about that appeal of being an inventor is, you know, the ultimate goal of benevolence to the world. Like, you could come up with something that's, you know, I mean, the selfie stick's a bad example, but for the good of mankind. Yes. You know, wouldn't you want to give that to the world for free? Well, some people would, Will. Some people would not. Yeah, that's true. That is the sadness of that's Shindogu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there we are. Um, <laughs> There's so, one other feature that we haven't talked about from these shows. Oh, right. Well, we've only done the first episode so far. Yeah. So what is there something I've missed from it? Well, there is. There's. This is something that's been going on in the later series. Oh, no. Oh, well, is it the competition? Yes, the It'll Never Work Useless Inventions Competition. Oh. Now, what a genius idea. Okay. Did kids. you ever design something for it'll never work i think i tried to i know i couldn't come up with anything good enough i, don't I think know I, I know i thought about it all the time yeah and i yeah i think my my mind just did not work that way because i didn't come up with anything yeah it's i think but i think it's amazing because we see two on here and these are like finalists yeah right so the one we see from the first episode is the reigning mac yeah right which is basically to get round the hosepipe ban. How amazingly British that this idea starts. Necessity is the mother of invention. So when there is a hosepipe ban... There's a water crisis in the UK, and my solution is not to comply with it and go, fair enough, well, mm, I suppose yeah. I, I have been wasting a bit of water trying to keep everything going in the garden. I should just let it, you know, plant... These, these plants are there for decoration, not for food. I can just let this water go. No, what I'm going to do is get a Mac... Mm-hmm. Line it with another Mac, pierce some holes in the sleeves, and then connect a hosepipe to my arsehole, <laughs> and then wander around surreptitiously watering my plants. Yes, essentially, it's a Mac that water sprouts out of various holes. Yeah. And it's Sally Gray, isn't it? Yeah, Sally Gray's going around. She's wandering it. around a park 
with this Mac on. And it's meant to be useless invention. So, you know, she trips over the, the hose pipe and she can't go any further because she's still attached to it. And there's dribbling water all down. But she also talks to some like real people to ask what they think of it. And these kids are just like, rubbish, rubbish, uh, you're dribbling. Water, dribbling, ah, rubbish. It's fantastic, you know. That was really worthwhile segment to put on TV. Rubbish, it's rubbish. And all, all the more impressive, they spent the money on Spice Girls to do the music for I was going to say, they really are spending the money on the background music. Who do you think you are is playing the whole segment? Why? I don't know. Why would you choose that song of all? You know, you could, there's so many songs about rain. Yeah, there are a lot of Sing, songs about rain. Know, singing in the rain. Raindrops keep falling on <laughs> my head. Yep. Has Why Does It Always Rain On Me happened? Maybe not. Ooh, 97. It might have done. I can't remember. Don't know. Mm, don't don't know. know. I think it might be don't a couple know. of years away. Yeah. Oh, my God. So that's the first episode. I mean, the second episode, obviously, is the same series. So we've still got much of the same. I think we should just talk about our favourites from here. My favourite uh, has to be... They go to Aspen, Colorado. Yes. Um, so maybe it isn't just the, the wacky south of America, you know. It's a get about. Because um, we've had California, Colorado, Texas. Yeah. Um, right, so we're in Aspen now for the ultimate taxi. Yes. Right? Which I would say is less of an invention and more of a guy who's just put some lights in his taxi to sort of sell it. Um, but he calls it the ultimate taxi, and he says it's like a cross between a taxi and a Pink Floyd concert, <laughs> which is an up-to-date reference for the kids there. Um, he's got nine lasers, 12 computers. and Fog machines. Fog machines. It just, From the outside, it looks really unimpressive, yeah. because it just looks like uh, like a... A cab with some lights in it. Yeah. It's like a party cab, right? But inside, it is a, a, such an assault on the senses that every shot from inside, I was just like, I already feel travel sick and I'm not moving. Get me out of here. I feel ill. <laughs> who would go? Also, who would go and party in a taxi? I don't know, but he does say, this is my favourite. This is why it's my favourite segment. He says, it blurs the line between theatre and cabs. <laughs> Which... I, again, my my mind does not expand wide enough for some of these thoughts. <laughs> and I studied theatre at uni and I would never have thought, you know what I want to do? I want to blur the line between what I'm doing and how I got here. <laughs> <laughs> never, never would have thought of it. Never would have thought of it. <laughs> so he truly is an experimental I mean, thinker. I, I had an ambition when I was when I was doing drama to uh, to put on a production of Henry V inside a wardrobe. But never would I consider a taxi cab. <laughs> taxi cab. <laughs> you know, that would have been incredible. But you know, I'm not I'm not down on this guy because you know what? He's he's hustling. <laughs> he tells us that he's had Michael Douglas, Clint Eastwood and the Pope in his yes. cabs, which are Blatant lies. Blatant lies. He might have had lookalikes of all those people. He's had a blo- he's had two old men that look like Michael Douglas and Clint Eastwood, and he's had one guy on a stag do dressed as the Pope. <laughs> what he's had is Michael Clint and Douglas Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> they just sign their names. Any possibly keep sign your names next to each other. <laughs> And your name, sir? Thomas Henry Edward Pope. Ah, right. Can you put T-H-E Pope, please? <laughs> oh, my God. I think my other favourite, one of my favourite bits in this as well, is that they, 
it comes. It's this big bit at the end to go off to America. Oh, you're right. I went for my favourite too quick. <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> this is because this is obviously another big thing. It's missing from the first episode we watched, but a big thing again of a kids, you know, science based TV. Aliens discussion of aliens. Absolutely right. And I love the little segue into this section, which is the moon. It's not made of cheese. <laughs> now, every this is Jez. This is Jez. This, this what now everyone knows the moon isn't made of cheese. So what is it made of? It's made of rock, Jez. What you, <laughs> we've established that. We just said everyone knows. <laughs> oh my god! But we're, but we're aliens, right? So we're going off to Roswell. Well, the, well, oh, no, we're Roswell going well adjacent. We're going down to like to Texas. Okay, right. right yeah. Okay, but they have a little bit at the start talking about Roswell and you know Area Fifty One setting the scene. Are they experimenting aliens in there? We just don't know. Except we do yeah, know. Except we do know. And they're not. No. <laughs> and basically, it's, all, it's this whole thing is talking about SETI, which is the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yeah. Right. Which obviously the US government funded for a year, then it shut down. It picked up one weird signal from space, and the people now their whole introduction says here's this guy in texas who is part of the seti network and it's people voluntarily trying to find extra a big part big part sorry because they call him dr seti they do call him dr seti and i think his credibility as a doctor is somewhat lessened when you see his satellite dish which is using a coffee can as part of the antenna now yes he says this is a parabolic dish but what it actually is is a hubcap with a Folgers can, <laughs> which is the coffee can, and I, uh, it maybe you're like me, associate it with being the can from the Big Lebowski. Yep. So it is a, a Folgers coffee can and a hubcap, which he calls a parabolic satellite. <laughs> I love that because Jen says to him, so how will you tell if you're getting a call? And he goes, oh, you use this other can, which I swear to God has a string attached to it. <laughs> I, yeah, how will you tell? If you, on this Folgers can, you pick up an alien signal. And he's like, actually, I can demonstrate that. And he pulls out a second Folgers can, (laughs) which has, he has put some gubbins inside and now has a button on it. And so he leaves it next to the other can, presses the button and comes back into his little house to show him the screen. And he has picked up a very weak signal from a coffee can sitting next to another coffee can. I mean, it's not filling you with confidence. It isn't. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, Jez is the perfect person to do this because he's so cynical already. I mean, my favourite bit of this is talking basically about you know, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence in America. And he goes, you might ask why aliens would want to visit the home of Dolly Parton and hot dogs. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have what? asked. Why <laughs> wouldn't they? <laughs> do aliens not like hot dogs, Jez? Is that what you're telling us? <laughs> Are aliens not fans of country and western? He actually asks that. Jez, <laughs> Jez presumes to know a lot about the likes and dislikes because because Dr. Seti plays us out with a song he's written about aliens and Jez ends the segment by saying, but surely even aliens don't like country and western and oh, walks away God. in his cynical style That segment is, um, yeah... Um, you you don't like to laugh at um Doctor Seti. He's a, he's a man of limited means, but he says, you know, Jez puts that to him. He says, you know, you haven't got as much money maybe as NASA, and he says, but we make up for it with strength of numbers, which is depressing in of itself. <laughs> how many how many people are following this guy and? 
He's two coffee cans that talk to each other. <laughs> barely talk to each other. Barely, just barely pick up a reading. I mean, for each I, other. there are some gems in this episode. It's got to be said. I mean, there's one. The the there's very quickly I want to dwell on. There's there's a patents bit that Adrian does. Yes. With the man catching tank, which is basically a pillar box with some arms on the side. It looks like a Doctor Who like villain very, from the, from very the Sylvester Doctor McCoy Who. era. Yes. Right. So. And it basically, this is a pattern from 1921, but Adrian introduces this section with the 1920s, best remembered for the Great Depression. Wow, wow, what a, what a slap in the face to a decade. <laughs> you know, the Roaring Twenties, the birth of flight, everything else. No, 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 best remembered for the crippling Great Depression that killed millions. What do we think we'll remember our 20s for? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes, but I'm... Um... Uh, the man-catching tank, they do a kind of... I don't know, it's a sort of like Mr Bean-style segment for it. Yeah, because, they do these weird bean You know, in order to, to demonstrate that it doesn't work, they've got uh, Angela in her uh, her robber gear with, you know, swag <laughs> over her shoulder and yeah, her black mask. Shirt. Yeah, and she's running about and she can easily evade a man in a Doctor Who costume. You know, he's yep. like a... A, a low rent Dalek, although with these like kind of cage Pinches, yeah. cage hands that w- should come round the the crim, but he can't get to her um, because he's shuffling along on his two little feet. <laughs> um, so yeah, that they demonstrate that that doesn't work in this kind of you know the the, the bean style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I think it's bean style. I think it's bean bean style. That's what it's called now. That's what it's called. I yeah. think. Yeah. Another bit I loved, which is. Uh, they go off somewhere to talk about research into volcanoes. Yes, this is Angela again, isn't it? Yeah. She is, um, yeah, Angela. She is Angela. I mean, there's one thing I absolutely love about this, though, is they're talking about basically them doing research on volcanoes by measuring gases coming out of these holes in the ground, and they go, 80 years ago, a volcano erupted, so research is vital. Yes. So, is it? Doesn't seem that pressing. I, I could be wrong, but... Well, I'm sure you are wrong, but the way they say it does make you go, eh, well, I think I'm all right, actually. I'll chance it. Just, oh, oh God. There's a cameo from uh, the Queen in this there episode. There is, yeah. Queen pops up, doesn't she? For a second, I didn't think it was the real Queen. And then no, I, I thought it was a lookalike. I thought it was going to be a lookalike. But then you realise... It is the real queen, and she did used to get about a lot more. She did used to. I mean, she was she was a lot younger in those days. I mean, nowadays, if you win Britain's Got Talent, you're not even going to meet the queen. No, are that's you? it. You've got the royal variety. You're going to meet but Prince this, William and what's his name? This, the little boy, is meeting the queen because he invented a useless invention for a BBC show that hardly anybody's watching. I mean, this. I swear, the queen had more pressing things to do in the nineties. She didn't know what was happening. She was there for something else. And they were like, could you just shake some hands in this room? I can believe that because she comes in and then has to be turned around to look at the kids yes. who just walked past. Yes, absolutely. Because he's the winner. Of, the ultimate winner. Ultimate winner of the It'll Never Work Design Awards. Now, I never remembered seeing any of the winners. No. I always remembered seeing, you know, there's a runner-up or this person submitted one and got quite far. But this actually won. And I was a fan of this. Yeah. The, the, this invention, because not necessarily because of the idea from this child, whoever he was, Richard Pilot. 
Um, but <laughs> Richard, not, quite, not, Richard his, not his real name. If you're out there, wasn't impressed with your invention. Sorry, <laughs> but I was impressed with. Whoa, the... whoa, whoa, whoa. I have to ask: Were you impre- not impressed with it as a useless invention, or not impressed with it as a practical invention? I was not impressed with it as a useless invention. Oh, sick burn. <laughs> sick burn. <laughs> but I was impressed with the delivery from, as I say, the BBC props department or whatever. The, the way that they made it look and work, mm. I thought was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, this thing looks impressive. This is, this is you know, so this is a walking suitcase. And when they said walk-in suitcase, I was like, it's going to be a suitcase and they're going to go in and then come out in a different outfit. Oh, right. That's what... <laughs> okay. And I was like, I've done seen that world, took one the whole this, thing. This is a regional accent thing because you heard walk-in suitcase. Yeah, yeah. I heard walking suitcase well i got that it was walking eventually <laughs> when it had feet <laughs> do you initially think those were just the shoes that's where you put your shoes in no no, no. once i saw it i was like hang on and i got to fit in there and then and then it started walking and i was like oh i've misheard yeah yeah so it's basically it's a it's a suitcase with four perspex wheels in the bottom with feet painted on them to kind of roll around <laughs> so technically it's not walking it's well, rolling you say you say painted on i don't think they're painted i think they're solid feet that are like they're there okay they're stuck on oh whatever. right okay but i think they look great the way they're walking it they yeah. just look so funny it's, it's, it's i mean this is this is great because this you know this they, again they demonstrate it sally gray is out demonstrating she shows it to some kids they say it's useless she shows it to some commuters they go it's terrible they have to contrive the situation where basically sally forgets she's got this case veers off and it doesn't follow her like yes well she goes up the step into the train yeah. and the walking suitcase cannot it again the daleks it can't cope with a step <laughs> it's not you even know. it's not even where she's turned away it's not sentient it's just got a motor uh, all of this by the way is underscored by a little green bag which is uh, again oh, yeah. again spent some money on the prs whatever <laughs> no but i i i like it but what it Oh, you know these principles of Chinoggu—they've changed. They've—they've they've blown my mind. I'm gonna have to—I'm gonna take these into my life yeah, and think yeah, about do, this. Do. But um, th- this is a prime thing of—they're so close to an actual invention that is necessary because, right? The the suitcase is is in, it is needed an upgrade. All right, so this is one of those big old style fabric suitcases mm-hmm. and they say oh a suitcase would have wheels anyway yeah but at this time they're literally just those little wheels that are on it and you're supposed to hang on to it and drag it they're not the suitcases that are so big now where you have the telescopic handle oh yeah so th- th- he's so close here <laughs> to designing the right idea it's like Suitcases at this time are cumbersome, unnecessarily so. They need an upgrade, but it's just instead of <laughs> a telescopic handle, he's gone for motorised feet, right? But they're so close to like... Because I would love a properly motorised suitcase, oh, right? Could... Uh, I, I could do with that. You could do it. I th- I think now with the advances we've had, the advances we've had, well, right, in suitcase technology. technology, right? If you took right your suitcase, mm. you don't put on the the wheels and the feet. You take some of those tri- those triple wheels that they put on old ladies' shopping bags, right? So that they haven't got to bump something up a curb. It basically will climb a curb or a step. climb a curb. Yeah, right, you right. put those on it. Okay, mm-hmm. you get you, you get the technology from the little pet robot, so it yeah. won't bump into anything. But a little like <laughs> RF receiver, okay, so that it will come close, so that. 
you know, you attach something to your belt or stick it in your pocket, or better yet, an app on your phone, right? Yes, yeah. And it'll stay, and it's designed to stay within Bluetooth range of your phone. Mm-hmm. That thing will follow you to the ends of the earth. All you need is an axle, and it'll just swivel. Amazing. Amazing. We can do it, Liz. We can revolutionise luggage. Can revolutionise luggage. I mean, obviously, that's what I want to be known for. Yeah. I want that on my, you know, gravestone. I mean, ultimate aims of this podcast, reach a wide audience, revolutionise luggage. <laughs> Those were our aims. I didn't know they out. were going in, right? <laughs> but now I'm willing to set that on there. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Can I just say, if anybody out there entered the It'll Never Work competition and they remember what their invention is... Tweet us, email us. What's the what's the email? The email is how do you like me now podcast at gmail.com. Or tweet us. At H D Y L M N one. Or there is Instagram, but at how do you like me on Instagram. Honestly, I would love I would love to know anybody's inventions. I tell you what, I'm gonna go one better than that, Liz, yeah. right? If you've still got or you can recreate a picture of your invention, send it to us and we'll put it up online. Oh, okay? we definitely put we'll it up. We'll do like we'll do like vision on, right? We'll have an art we'll have Tony Hart's <laughs> art corner for your inventions. It right? would oh yeah, I it would make love my that. day to have... I would love to know if anybody actually entered anything. Incredible. Well, Liz, there we are. It'll never work. How do you like me now? Honestly, when I when I, we sat down and started, I was like, this is bad. This has created a culture of uh, anti-science, listening to crackpots, some racism. I'm not happy with this show at all. But the more we've talked about it, the more I think that although those things are in there and they're probably bad, it does, it's still, it's a science programme for kids and it broadens your mind. It does get you thinking. So it does have some merit. Yeah. I was ready to consign it to, they shouldn't have made this. <laughs> but I think with some tweaks, maybe, uh, maybe it would have been okay. And I'm, I'm glad that we had it to open our minds and... Yeah, I think that's it. I think looking at back on it now, just watching it at face value, I agree, it's problematic. Problematic. But I think the more I think about it, the more we talk about it, yeah, I realize, yeah, it's it's had an impact on me in the same way that like Bitsa had an impact on me, in the same way that Artak other shows have had an impact on me. Mm. It's shaped how I think about things, now I approach things. Yeah, but that's bad, isn't it? It if, is if bad. If it's shaped yeah. it in a bad way, it, actually, that's I mean, not good. And as as you will attest from my DIY skills, it's definitely shaped in a bad way. Yeah, it'll never work. That could be our epitaph, <laughs> could not it? Yeah. Well, there we are. Liz, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening. Before we go, we're going to do a big shout out. Next week is going to be our Christmas spectacular episode. Woo! So yeah, we're doing a Christmas special. What are we doing, Liz? Is it a big secret? It is a big secret. It's a big secret. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big secret. We're not going to tell you. It's a big secret. I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> but tune in next week for our Christmas special. It's going to be awesome. And don't forget to rate review and subscribe yes and we'll see you next time